Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, funding crisis. There have been no federal proposals, no substantive meetings or dialogue. Canada's premiers turn up the heat for more health care dollars. We will speak to the premier of New Brunswick, Blaine Higgs. And... Together, we will move from being survivors to thrivers. The Assembly of First Nations ends its annual gathering, united in its opposition to Bill C-21 and child welfare compensation. But the internal fighting continues. Coming up, we will speak to the AFN Chief Roseanne Archibald. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. Canada's premiers presented a united front today, coming together via video conference to demand more money from Ottawa for health care. A meeting back in November failed to deliver any new dollars to the provinces, and now the premiers want a face-to-face meeting with the Prime Minister to come up with a different funding model because they do not believe Ottawa is paying its fair share. With more on what the premiers are asking for, we're now joined by the Premier of New Brunswick, Blaine Higgs. Premier Higgs, good to see you. Thank you for joining us. You're very welcome, Michael. Nice to be here. Now, you and your counterparts are asking for more funding. Uh, The federal government says it's willing, but they also want, uh, I guess, more accountability and transparency. Are the premiers willing to meet that condition? Well, I I think right now um, we're willing to to have that discussion, to meet and, and face-to-face and work through the details. You know, this has been going on for two, three plus years and healthcare as we've come out of COVID and, you know, still struggling in, in every, every um, you know, healthcare facility in the, pro- in the country, it's, uh, it's a universal problem for us. And, and, um, and I think that every premier um, in, in, the, in every province, every territory, are saying, let's meet, we're asking the Prime Minister to meet with us and let's discuss all the items. Let's talk about funding models, but let's talk about how we get better health care. I don't think any of us are, are afraid to talk about how we get better. It's our responsibility to to, to be better in, in, in our respective provinces and, and we don't take that responsibility lightly and we, we own that. And, and so we, uh, but we all agree our health care system needs to improve. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the disconnect uh, for for federal officials has to do with the budget surpluses that many provinces have right now. Ottawa is still dealing with deficits as it makes the current health and social transfer, transfers. Uh, why should Ottawa go further in the hole if provinces already have a healthier balance sheet? Well, I think that a good thing to look at would be why why is the federal government running deficits? Um, you know, where is the money being spent, and and is it is it being spent on the most critical care item uh, in the country, uh, as would be be uh, warranted by I would say every everyone, and not only residents but certainly politicians and medical professionals alike, would say healthcare is the number one issue. So money seems to be going everywhere for everything, but why is it not being focused on the very uh, issue that we all agree on? And, you know, while we all may have uh, temporary surpluses, and I say temporary because, you know, here in New Brunswick, you know, we 
had a, um, unexpected growth in our province in terms of uh, population. We've seen spending and levels um, increase that are unprecedented in the last couple of years. We've, we know inflation levels are high. Is that going to continue? Are we going to see a, a bit of recession following um, you know this this next year? So so and we're carrying here like a twelve billion dollar debt, um, and so that's you know one of the highest debt loads per capita in the country. So you know a deficit or surplus certainly doesn't tell the whole story. But where you put your money and what priorities you're putting it on, I think that does tell a big story. And that's where we need to get along. Mm -hmm. uh, help me understand this a bit more, though, Premier, because correct me if I'm wrong here. Didn't Ottawa already top up an additional, uh, what, $2 billion to the provinces? And that's above the $45 billion it is giving this year through the Canada Health Transfer. Why the need to ask for more if there was already in the summer, again, a $2 billion top up? Yeah, but what we're looking at here, if you take that across the country and the, and the amount of costs that, that healthcare is incurred in every province, and us, you know, in the, in the size of our province, but usually in every province, it's a 30 to 40% of the total budget. You know, for, so for us, it's like $3.5 billion uh, a year. We're looking for a sustainable ability to, to manage that. Out of that $3.5 million, the federal transfer portion of it would 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 only be a you know a percentage of that. Let's say currently we're running about twenty percent, twenty two percent in that range of our total healthcare bill. So so when you look at that end of it, you're saying these are reoccurring costs every year. And in a province with a with an aging demographic, you know it, they're only getting larger. So you're you're you know one single injection. This is the point. It's it's having a sustainable funding model that actually recognizing the growing costs of healthcare. And then let's talk about how we share best practices and how we how we can learn from each other and how we can build a better system. Um, and we wanna have that open discussion with the Prime Minister. And and they've committed, um, Minister LeBlanc committed back in the fall when we were in, in BC, uh, early fall, that he, he would have that meeting in the, early in the new year um, because he wanted to have it in time for this budget because they were committing for funding in the budget. I'm confident if we can have that meeting early January, that we're all of, of the like mind to find a deal that works for everyone. And um, it'll, let's just get face to face in a room. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, face to face in a room. I'm kind of wondering if you give us a, an idea of the temperature in that room, though. You know, obviously the, the, the voices were calm in the news conference today, but this is a big matter, healthcare, the, the, you know, the largest proportion of any provincial federal budget when you look at it. Uh, what is the temperature right now amongst the premiers to, to sit down with the prime minister and have an open calm discussion or are emotions high at this point? Well, uh, no, I think we're, you know, we're all adults in the room. We, it, it's not a, a case to, to, to be, uh, you know, corner the prime minister all at once. It, it's a case and, and the topic certainly not a, a new topic to spring on anyone. It, it's, it's here's here are the issues um, and here, here's what we want to speak to. No, I, I think we're all just very focused on having a, a program that we can move forward on together that recognizes what every citizen knows in our country. Healthcare needs top attention because that's where our challenges are in, in, in spades. And, and I, I don't think it's too much to ask after all this time, particularly. Uh, we worked well during COVID. Uh, we worked extremely well as a team across the country, working with the federal government. And this is just one of those items to carry on with health and say, let's find a solution. People aren't, aren't anxious for, 
for any sort of other reason that that there's a sense of urgency and and we need to address it together with the federal government. Mm -hmm. Any indication as to whether or not the prime minister will agree? To have the meeting? Yes. Well, we've certainly said, you know, he picks the time, we'll change all our schedules. Um, I think you heard Premier Ford say that, we all agreed to that, um, you know, in, in the meeting. Um, and and the, the idea was, um, if, if we he pick a time, and it should be early in January, it should be, you know, in the first half of January, because it wants to get in plenty of time before the federal budget. Um, but we will arrange our schedules to be there. Premier Higgs, really appreciate the time today. Thank you for it. You're very welcome. Have a good day. You too. To the Assembly of First Nations now as the organization wraps up its annual meeting. And while there are still divisions within the AFN and questions of workplace culture, the Assembly did come out united on two fronts, guns for Indigenous hunters and child welfare compensation. All perspectives are valuable and needed in this forum. Chiefs, you are asserting yourself. You are the backbone of this organization. It's creating a large shift. And yes, there has been resistance to this shift. That's inevitable. But it's essential to the health of the AFN that you drive the process. Change has arrived and we are all a part of that change. Well, for more, we're now joined by the National Chief for the Assembly of First Nations, Roseanne Archibald. Chief Archibald, nice to see you. Good to see you, Michael. Listen, I want to begin, uh, there, there have been so many uh, news points out of the gathering this week, but one very interesting point uh, is a big name, Murray Sinclair, because you've now turned to him to help navigate, I, I guess, what can be described as rough waters uh, within the AFN right now. What exactly are you hoping he can do? Well, Murray is very well respected across Turtle Island, and he was instrumental in bringing together the major uh, final settlement on child welfare. He was instrumental there. Uh, we did have two conflicting resolutions at our SCA, our Special Chiefs Assembly, and he was actually the person that was brought in to bring the parties together. So he's really seen as a unifying force, somebody that we really all admire and look up to, and obviously has really great mediation skills and conflict resolution skills. And so we have reached out to him. We have had a number of uh, discussions. Uh, we haven't signed a contract with him per se, but we are in discussions with him to help us navigate some of the more difficult conversations that we are having as an AFN executive. So discussions, any ideas to when he might uh, come on stream to help uh, things out? I believe in the new year, we're going to have more discussions with him. I will be talking to him over the next week just to confirm timeframes and uh, when and how he will meet with us. So those details are yet to be sorted out. And then again, as I said, we don't have a contract with him. So uh, it might turn out that he isn't available. So we're really hopeful that he is, though. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's turn to the issues themselves, because, of course, you and I will have an opportunity to speak the new year. But in terms of the issues that were raised up at the gathering, the Assembly did pass a unanimous motion expressing its opposition to the federal government's uh, gun bill C-21. Uh, 
the amendments seem to be the real issue here, as it, it expanded the gun bill, the, 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 the amendments introduced after the second reading. Uh, what is your take on that? How has that disadvantaged First Nations communities? We use firearms for hunting and harvesting uh, animals for our communities. It's a part of our food sovereignty. It's a part of our food security chain. And so firearms to us are tools. They're not uh, weapons. And I think that's the big difference between how the rest of Canada might view the issue of the gun control legislation is that they are often used uh, as weapons in non-Indigenous society more than they are um, as tools for hunting and gathering, which they are for us. And so that's the concern is that as we put more restrictions on guns that we use for hunting and harvesting, we're really begin to, beginning to impact what we call our um, our right to do that activity because you know many of us are covered by treaties across this uh, country and we really look to those treaty rights uh, they mention our lifestyle that the way that we live will not be impeded by the governments that come into our territories that the way that we um, you know, have our relationship with the lands and animals will not be impacted by settlers who come into our lands. But what we're seeing more and more is pieces of legislation like this, and even the privatization of Crown land, those kinds of things really impact us in terms of our traditional lifestyles. And it's traditional in the sense that it's carried on even today. Mm -hmm. And so that's why this the legislation is very important to us to make sure that it doesn't infringe on those rights. Mm -hmm. Now, another uh, essential uh, issue that uh, delegates came together on had to do with child welfare compensation. Uh, you passed a resolution uh, on child welfare cases, essentially bridging the, the class action settlement, the, the proposed agreement, and the compensation order from the Human Rights Tribunal. Now, Cindy Blackstock said that it should end any thought of putting, uh, of pitting rather, First Nation leaders against each other. Now, you've worked with this government. Do you think that's what they were doing here, pitting First Nations leaders against each other? You know, there are situations where we are in a relationship with this government where they do use divide and conquer as a tactic. We've seen that for generations. And so we want to be mindful of that and make sure that those things don't happen moving forward. In terms of these two resolutions, they were originally titled 16 and 17. And I'm really grateful to Cindy Blackstock for joining us in our meeting and being a part of those discussions. And even Murray Sinclair, as I said, was a part of those discussions to bring those two resolutions together. And so in terms of the government, it was really meaningful for the chiefs to be driving that process. They were the ones who were in those meetings, fixing those resolutions. And really, as, as they said, presenting a united front to the government that we're not going to be divided about how our children are compensated. What's most important about these resolutions is that it's going to cover every child, every parent, grandparents. It's going to cover all of the different classes within the final settlement, settlement agreement. 
and it's going to cover what the CHRT uh, ruling said as well. So it covers everyone, and that to me is a big step forward because nobody's going to be left behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, quickly running out of time here, but I just want to ask you very brief- briefly, how are you feeling uh, about the meeting now that it's done? You know, it was it was a bit of a, a difficult start. Uh, you know, we've uh, we've had a very difficult AGA in July, and I think that even at the beginning of my speech, I talked about all of us like taking a collective breath together and starting to move forward in a good way. And I feel like we did that. We had uh, a somewhat of a, a difficult issue to deal with at the beginning, but once we got through that, everyone really came together and there's a big difference. It's like night and day compared to what happened in July versus what happened this week. And so it's a, it's a real step forward. People were working together, they were unified, and I certainly, my role as a national chief is really to create space for those kinds of concepts around truth and uh, accountability, transparency, creating a safe space where good decisions can be made, and I feel like together with the chiefs, we did that. Roseanne Archibald, always good to speak with you. Thank you for the time today. Thank you, Michael. Take care. You too. Take care. As we noted off top, Canada's premiers are turning up the heat, coming together to push Ottawa for more health care dollars and calling on the Prime Minister to meet his provincial and territorial counterparts as a group. Now, the Finance Minister did comment on the situation before the Premier spoke. Take a listen to Christian Freeland. We understand that Canadians are really worried and frustrated and frightened actually uh, in many parts of the country about the state of the healthcare system and we know that we need to work together to make it better. The federal government is committed to doing that and yes that does mean some more investment but it also means a focus on being sure we get the results that Canadians quite rightly expect of us from those investments. With more, let's bring in our journalist panel. Marsha McLeod is with the Globe and Mail. Catherine Levesque is with the National Post. Hello to the two of you. Hello. Hi. Uh, Marsha, I'm going to get you to start us out here because the premiers are repeating really the same ask as we heard back in November when uh, a meeting of health ministers did not resolve anything, really. So as we heard from Freeland, this for the federal government is more than just about dollars. It's also what Ottawa likes to, to call accountability. Why haven't the provinces met that demand if they're looking for more money? It's a really good question. Uh, and it's one today that the premiers dodged during the press conference. Their repeated perspective was that they are accountable to their voters. Um, and again, as you mentioned, uh, Health Minister Duclos said as well that money is really not uh, the only reason that the healthcare system is in crisis. But again, those premiers are demanding another a meeting with the Prime Minister in January, looking for an increase in, in transfer payments with no conditions. And the federal government is, is really saying that they're, they're not going to follow that line. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, Catherine, as the squabble uh, over money continues, we are seeing a healthcare system tearing uh, really at the seams. Uh, millions of Canadians without a primary care physician, long wait times in emergency rooms, pediatric cases of respiratory ailments really just skyrocketing right now. Can Ottawa ignore, even if their demand is not being met, can Ottawa really ignore these demands for more funding? 
I wouldn't say ignore, but I think, yes, right now, Ottawa can kind of, uh, you know, for, for lack of a better term, sit back and, and, and you know, kind of observe what, what is going on. I mean, Ottawa has been there, let's be clear, has been giving uh, billions of dollars to the provinces during COVID. Uh, I, I think, you know, obviously, there, there's a crisis right now. I think they're, they're open to giving more money. But right now, what we're, what we're seeing is really a feud on the political side. Uh, and I, I think the mood, uh, the, the public mood, certainly in the political mood is kind of shifting a little bit because more and more people are seeing that provinces have surpluses. They have a lot of money. They can certainly invest in their healthcare system. And Ottawa sees it too. Um, the, the other thing is that also the, the provinces are not, you know, in fact, there have been talks <laughs> with the provinces, uh, with the health ministers and, and Jean-Yves Duclos, I mean, in the last few months, he, uh, you know, unfortunately realized that this was more of a political issue. And now the premiers kind of stressed that today that they really, they don't want to talk with Duclos. They want to talk directly with the prime minister. However, I, I think Ottawa right now is kind of, again, uh, you know, asking for a bit more accountability. I think they put some water in their wine as to what they were asking for at first because they wanted more strings attached. Now they're just, you know, asking for a shared data database. Uh, they're asking for national norms in, in terms of the workforce. So uh, it's it's getting more and more reasonable. But certainly, I think it's time now the provinces put a little bit more water in their wine. And, uh, you know, for, for the prime minister to finally agree to just that at the table. But uh, I don't know if it will happen before the budget, which is what, what their ask is right now. Mm -hmm. And they, as you say, they are asking uh, for more funding once the, the budget's actually tabled. So something we're, we're going to keep watching in the weeks ahead. Now, you know, Catherine, I'll stay with you because I also want to talk about China today. We saw the federal government uh, unveil new strategies on critical minerals and foreign investment this week alone. Uh, national security, one concern that's being factored into both these announcements. Now, China was not mentioned specifically, but how big of a role does China actually play in these considerations? A huge role. Uh, I think the message right now is that Canada is no more Mr. Nice Guy. I mean, we're, uh, you know, all, all the strategies that have been unveiled are, are unveiled with China in mind. Uh, we're more and more recognizing that it is a disruptive power. And really, it, it really speaks to this shift uh, that is happening right now. Because, look, in the last mandate, certainly, uh, Justin Trudeau, I think, was... Uh, inspired by by his father i think he was hoping to get it you know to have a nice relationship with with the the chinese government as his father did there were even talks in 2017 to potentially to potentially have a trade deal uh that has completely changed uh, i think you know the message now the key message that we're hearing from the prime minister and from ministers is that they're uh you know dealing with china with eyes wide open uh, so that's the message right now and even though it you know china isn't explicitly mentioned uh you know that is certainly one of the countries that they're looking out for and they want to make sure that you know china is protected and so it's uh, it certainly speaks to to the shift uh, right now happening in government mm -hmm. and you know what's interesting about this marcia is uh despite these policies that are really again meant to boost national security we also saw uh, the revelation this week of an rcmp contract that went to a company that has ties to china in fact more than that its parent company is facing espionage charges in the united states talk to us about the reaction that story got in ottawa and kind of uh, the movement it has essentially inspired well it's certainly not been a good reaction uh, conservative mp michael barrett has 
uh, said he has a lot of concerns about this. Um, he referred to a fox in charge of the hen house. And, 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 and he was saying that he really wants to find out how this happened in the first place. Um, and I think that that is one of the central one of the central questions. How did this happen? And what are the RCMP's vetting processes during procurement um, to be able to avoid this happening again? Um, I think that even in terms of Canada's policy on China, in a lot of ways, it has been sort of poked and pot, prodded along a little bit by the U.S., who, who definitely is a few steps ahead. And just in this instance, the U.S. had blacklisted this company's parent, the parent company in, in 2001. So I think it raises a lot of questions about why Canada has had not already done that, if that is something that may be in the works. Um, the particular contracting question has been suspended, but no word yet whether it's going to be ultimately cancelled. Um, and maybe even just more broadly, I think it brings up uh, that this is not the first time that there has been uh, uproar over a RCMP contract. I mean, I think certainly Clearview AI comes to mind. There were concerns raised earlier this year about a spyware contract that the RCMP has with whom it's uh, refused to disclose who the specific contractor is. So this isn't necessarily a new conversation now for the RCMP. Mm -hmm. uh, now, that's not the only controversy that we saw this week, because we should also talk about uh, the gun bill, Marsha, the liberal gun bill, because, you know, the Assembly of First Nations, they did add their opposition against the bill uh, as they wrapped up their conference this week. And it all goes to that amendment added after the initial bill was actually uh, passed, passed in second reading, in fact, in the House. Uh, Marsha, what was the thinking of adding that amendment at such a late stage? I really wish I knew the answer to that question because it certainly caused enormous uproar. It has the federal government or the liberal government on its heels responding to what has been enormous backlash uh, from northern premiers, uh, even from you know, members of uh, liberal MPs uh, as well, in particular. Um, Brendan Hanley stepped out and said he he doesn't support this bill as an MP uh, representing Yukon. Um, the premier of, of Yukon said to me today that uh, that that he doesn't support it. And and there, because one of the main things is is the amendments to the bill have really broadened its scope. And and experts say that some of the newly prohibited guns don't even necessarily fit the government's own definition for what's an assault style weapon and it's going to target weapons that are very common with hunters uh, like the SKS um, and so I don't necessarily know what the government can do at this point to cool this uproar other than say maybe we'll scrap the amendment Trudeau has said he's not open to negotiating uh, the definition of an assault style weapon but they're open to fine-tuning that's the word they've he's been using fine-tuning the actual list of weapons that are prohibited um, the government has added or there's been two committee uh, meetings added to kind of debate these very late minute um, amendments uh, so we'll see what happens with that but uh, certainly this is not going to be uh, wrapped up by the end of the before the winter break. Yeah, and you know, Catherine, that, that was actually the point I wanted to raise with you because, you know, as we heard from Marsha here, the, the, the bill will not be passed before the sitting actually ends next week. But is the bill itself now in trouble because of this amendment? Uh, well, certainly there has been a lot of uproar. I, I wouldn't say it is in danger as of right now because uh, something that also happened this week that, you know, uh, kind of passed a little bit under the radar is the fact that the Bloc Quebecois is actually quite open to supporting this amendment. If they have a bit more clarity on what that involves, and if, uh, of course, it doesn't hurt hunters uh, and, and farmers and Indigenous peoples, of course. So 
Listen, I, I think it's it's quite obvious that the NDP uh, has a lot of frustration towards the bill. The Conservatives also, uh, of course. Uh, but uh, I, I think you know, in, in this case, the partner the partner for the Liberals might be actually the Bloc Québécois, and they could have a majority to pass this. Now, how are they going to do that? Well, something that was agreed this week is um, the in fact it, it was a Bloc member who uh, you know raised the the question of having more independent witnesses or experts to talk about. Uh, you know, what is an assault rifle, uh, an assault style weapon, sorry, uh, and what should be in this list. Uh, so the, the Liberals, the NDP, and uh, Bloc members on the Parliamentary Committee on Public Safety that is looking at this right now actually are, are asking for a special meeting to actually agree for future meetings. So they, there seems to be a bit more openness on that. So maybe that's what we, we might see in the next week and, and moving forward uh, after Christmas. There will be more consultation. But I think, again, uh, like Marsha said, the Liberals are committed to uh, staying with, with this definition. I think now it's more about fine-tuning the list and really making sure that, um, that this list does not affect uh, the, the hunters and all the people um, you know, who, who have been complaining about the amendment. Yeah, and without a doubt, Canadians right across country watching this very closely, both in urban and rural settings. Uh, so we'll watch it very closely. Uh, but for now, uh, Catherine Levesque, Marsha McLeod, really thank you for the time. Thank you. Thank you. And that is our program for tonight. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. Have a great weekend.